You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scottsdale. So glad that you're able to join us this morning. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Phil Lordigo. I serve as a senior pastor here, and we are happy that you are here. Those of you who are joining us online, thank you for tuning us in and giving us an opportunity to be in your home. Some of you are watching from South Africa. Give a shout out to you guys in Jeffrey's Bay. And I just pray that the Lord would bless you this week. Um, And I just want to begin by saying happy Mother's Day to all of our moms here this morning. We are all here this morning because we had a mother, right? And uh, if not for our moms, we wouldn't even be alive. And so we want to acknowledge moms and we can't possibly capture everything we want to say in our appreciation for what our moms have done. And I, this past week, I was just looking at some, some lines, one-liners, some things that can describe what moms are, and um, I came across a couple of them. One says this. It says, burnt toast is actually fairly symbolic of motherhood. If you're the one who burned the toast, you scrape it off and eat it yourself. If they burned it, you eat it because they burned it especially for you. Isn't that true, moms? Another one says this, insanity in motherhood is hereditary. You get it from your children. Probably one of my favorite ones says, having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps, everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. But there are so many things that we could say about moms, and we are so honored. Um, My mom's with the Lord Jesus, um, and I I can't think of a better place for her to be. My dad is there as well. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but we have an opportunity today to honor our our moms. And we want to do that at Scott's Hill. As we said earlier, we have some photo booth outside. It's raining a little bit. Once it clears up, I want you to get your picture. We have them printed immediately. You can get, and it doesn't matter whether you're a mom or not. If you're here and your kids are not here, get in it with your husband, get in it by yourself. We want you to have a picture and just a, a, an opportunity for us to honor you today. So please take advantage of that. Well, we're in the second week of a new series that we started last week that we began. We call it Renew. And we're talking about refreshing our walk with Christ. And last week, we set it up by saying that we all know that there are times where we can grow stale in our walk with Christ. Amen? Amen. We can grow kind of cold, we can grow kind of dull, we can get into a status quo kind of living where we seem to lose the freshness in our walk and our vibrant relationship with Christ. And so we wanted to look at what God's word has to say about how do we renew our walk with the Lord Jesus. Um, And so we've been looking at the pages of scripture of what are some areas that God says we need to renew? Last week, we began with Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And the first thing we looked at is renewing our minds. The word of God has a lot to say about the renewing of our minds. And last week we asked and we answered two questions. We asked, why do we need our minds renewed? And then how do we live a life with a renewed mind? And last week we focused on verse two of chapter 12 of Romans. And we looked at how we can renew our minds. If you want to get some information on that, you can go back, watch that online. I don't want to recap all that. But we began with the renewing of our minds. 
Now today, we're going to look at a second area that the scripture tells us we need to renew. Not only do we need to renew our minds, but we need to renew our hearts. Where our mind deals with our thinking, our hearts deal with our devotion and our worship. And today, what I want us to look at is how do we renew our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because let's be honest, we can grow cold in our worship, can't we? We can grow stale in our worship. We can get to places where we're just kind of going through the motions with our worship. We, we might be in a quiet time and it becomes more of a drudgery than it is a delight. We might find ourselves in times of singing where it's more about lip service than it is even a lifestyle. Or maybe you're here this morning and dealing with the sermon is more about endurance than it is enlightenment. Or maybe even your prayer life has become so predictable but there doesn't seem to be any more power to it. And we can all get to places in our lives where we just feel like, man, there's something missing in my worship. It's not as fresh as it used to be. I don't seem to have my emotions stirred like they used to be. I don't seem to have that same devotion and adoration to God that I once had. How do I renew that? How do I grow deeper in my worship of the Lord Jesus. Well, this morning, that's what we want to look at. And we're going to go back to Romans chapter 12, but we're going to just look at verse one. And as we go back to Romans chapter 12, verse one, Paul gives us a beautiful picture here of how we can renew our worship, our adoration, our passion for the Lord Jesus. And as we look at this, we're gonna, we've got to ask and answer three questions. Number one, what is worship anyway? What is biblical worship? Secondly, why do I even need to renew my biblical worship? And thirdly, how do I experience a renewed worship of the Lord Jesus? That's where we're going to look today. So let's begin with Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Rome. Rome is the center of the Roman Empire. It's also the center of some of the most depraved, godless, immoral, idolatrous living on the planet at that time. And so Paul has shared the gospel with these individuals and he's appealing to them to be renewed in their walk. And in verse one, he speaks specifically about their heart and about worship. Here's what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so in this passage, there are going to be three questions. What is worship? Why do we need to renew our worship? And how do I experience a renewed worship of the Lord Jesus? So here's the first question. What is biblical worship? What is biblical worship? Well, the first thing we need to do is understand what biblical worship is not. Because a lot of times we get it wrong. Let me tell you what it's not. Number one, biblical worship is not an event. It's not something that happens at a particular time on a particular day. Many times we'll say, where are you going? I'm going to worship. I'm going to church. I'm going at the 9.15 service. Or I'm going at the 11 o'clock service. Or maybe we're going to have a special worship event on a Thursday night or Sunday evening. Worship is not an event. 
It's not a specific time of the day like going to a concert. Secondly, worship is not a location. It's not a place. It doesn't just take place on this campus at 9.15 or 11 o'clock or any other campus. It is not It's not based upon a specific location. The third thing is this, it's not just about music. Many times people talk about worship, they talk about how's how's worship today? Oh, it was great, man, the music was great, the songs were great. Oh yeah, How, how did you like worship? Man, it was powerful, man. The music just stirred my heart. It's not just music. Worship is so much more than that. Worship includes prayer, it includes scripture reading, it includes listening, it includes worship, it includes devotion. Worship is not an event at a location with just music because worship is something that is to happen constantly. I'm to worship God as I am going on a jog, mostly because I survived it. You know, I am to worship God I can worship him while I'm hunting. I can worship him while I'm driving to work. I can worship him when I'm at a soccer game with my kids. I'm worship when I'm at a band concert, when other people are worshiping. The thing is this, worship is never one single place. Worship, the word worship means to ascribe worth, honor, devotion, and adoration to someone who deserves it. And here's what the psalmist writes in Psalm 29, verses one and two. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. So what is worship? Let me give you a simple definition. Biblical worship is the willful choice to ascribe worth, honor, devotion, and adoration to God who alone deserves it. That's what worship is. And it's something that happens constantly, not just at 9.15 or 11, but everywhere, every time, all day where we ascribe to him that which he deserves. Now, let me just say this. That means this, that when we worship, he is the object of our worship. Worship is for him. It is to him It's not for me, and it's not to me. A lot of times when we gather together in a corporate setting such as this, we make worship more about ourselves. We really do. We say we don't, but we do. Because it becomes about ourselves. Because we want the music to move us. We want the songs to um, relate to us. And it becomes about us. In fact, when we gather together, we have the wrong view of the roles of worship. Too many times in the life of the church, let me give you an illustration. When we gather together, more often than not, we think that God is the prompter. The worship leaders are the performers and the congregation is the audience. If that's our view, then worship's about me. And then I can leave there and say, well, I didn't like that song or I didn't like the rhythm of that one. I don't like the rearrangement of that one. I don't like it when they sing it that way. Well, that music just didn't move me today. When we come to church with that mindset, it becomes about me. And we miss what worship is. Worship's not about you. Worship is not for you. 
Here's the right picture. When we come to worship, the worship leaders are the prompters. The congregation are the performers. God is the audience. He's the audience. This is where we miss it. Because too often when we come to church, we come with a consumer mindset. It's about me. Oh, I hope that music's good today. I hope the singers are good. I hope all the elements of the, and it becomes about us. But what would happen if we come to this place together collectively as a group of people and say, listen, the leaders are gonna prompt us. We are gonna sing our hearts out because there's only one who deserves it. What happens then? We get the right perspective. and We understand that worship is to lift Jesus' name, not us. And let me tell you, at the end of a worship service where people understand what worship is, when they leave the building, they don't leave saying, wow, the music was good. Wow, the sermon was good. They leave saying, wow, God is good because we've come for him. That's worship. And if we're gonna get worship right, we gotta always understand it is directing our adoration and our devotion to the only one who deserves it. That's worship. Now, now that we understand what worship is, why do we need to renew our worship? Why do we need to renew our worship? Well, I love the way Paul puts it in this verse because he tells us two reasons we really need to renew our worship. Here's how he says it. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In this passage, he tells us that there are two reasons that we need to regularly renew our worship of the Lord Jesus. He says that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is really strange way to say it. It's, it's kind of a new thought in, in the New Testament because in the Old Testament, when people made sacrifices, they presented dead animals that were sacrificed. They would take an animal, they would slay that animal, they would drain the blood out of that animal, pour it all over the altar, and they would present this dead body as a sacrifice to God. And it was dead. It could not do anything else. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, he was a living sacrifice. And he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And because Jesus did that, there is no need further for a dead sacrifice to be made. But Paul is saying that in the same way that Jesus was a living sacrifice, you are to be a living sacrifice to him. You are to daily live your life for the glory of Christ. And everything that you do is to be for his pleasure and to adore him, to demonstrate devotion to him, to exalt him and to worship him with your whole body. And here's the problem. Why do we need to be renewed? I love the way, because living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. Isn't that true? Living sacrifices tend to get off the altar. 
And if you and I are honest, there are times in our devotion, in our life, and our service of the Lord Jesus that we make these great commitments. We put ourselves on the altar. We say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give everything to you, Lord Jesus. And then we get distracted. Some things come along. And you know what happens? We tend to crawl off the altar and we take back the commitments that we've made. And so many times we're distracted, not only by the world, not only by our flesh, but the enemy of our soul does not want us on the altar of worship. He's always trying to pull us off. The apostle Paul writes to a group of Christians in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. Now he acknowledged that they have a sincere and a pure devotion. They genuinely loved Jesus. But the enemy comes along, he begins to distract. And the quiet times that we once enjoy begin to fall by the wayside. We no longer in the word of God like we used to because there are other things pulling at us. The podcasts and the music we used to listen to, oh man, there's some better stuff out there on Instagram and TikTok. And what happens? We begin to be pulled away little by little and we find ourselves crawling off the altar. And those commitments that we once made become cold. Listen, every one of us can do it. I can do it. And I experienced that in my ministry. Sometimes I could get so caught up into working for Jesus that I forget to walk with Jesus. And we can all do that, can't we? So Paul says, you need to renew it because there are times you're gonna wanna crawl off the altar. But here's the second reason we need to renew. Our worship can become unacceptable. Our worship to God can become unacceptable. Paul tells us that our worship is to be holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. God has an acceptable kind of worship that he wants us to live in. And there's an unacceptable kind. And whenever we begin to crawl off the altar and we begin to tune back into the things of the world, we can worship God in ways that displease him. Let me give you three ways we can do it. Number one, the unacceptable worship of false gods. We can turn our attention to things that replace God. People, children, grandchildren, jobs, careers, material possessions, dreams, aspirations, my own selfish desires. All of those things can become the gods of our lives. And we could subtly drift into them and we not even realize that we're worshiping a foreign God. And it happens so easily. Secondly, the unacceptable worship of true God in a wrong way. Sometimes we can worship the true God in a wrong way. And let me tell you, when that always happens, that always happens when you try to worship a God that's different from the scriptures. Whenever you want to form your own thoughts of who God is, I'm gonna tell you, idolatry does not begin with a hammer and a chisel. It begins with the thoughts of the mind that are contrary to the word of God. When people say, oh, I, I just like to think of Jesus as this. Well, that's wonderful. Is that supported in scripture? Or I like to think that God is this. 
Oh, I would like to think that God's response to sin is this, or it's this. And if you're thinking of God's character in a way that's contrary from his word, you worshiping the true God, but in the wrong way. Remember the people of Israel? When Moses was on the mountain for 40 days waiting for the tablets and they were becoming anxious and, and, and the people came to Aaron and they said, hey, we got to make a God. We got to create this God, throw some gold in. Let's make a golden calf. The golden calf was really supposed to be a picture of the strongest thing they can think of. It was a bull. And the bull was actually not to replace God, but was to symbolize God. But there's nothing of God that can ever be captured in a bull. And so what happened? They were trying to worship the true God in the wrong way. And it's unacceptable. Here's the third thing. The unacceptable worship of the true God with wrong motives. Have you ever worshiped God with wrong motives? I have. Have you ever worshiped God for your own good? For your own well-being? For your own goals? so that you could become something and utilizing this worship in a way so that you could get ahead with maybe something you want. Here's the danger of worshiping false gods. We always become like the God we worship. We always become like the God we worship. And if we're worshiping the true God, then the marks of God's character in our lives become evident. But if we're not, then what we end up doing is we becoming like the things we create in our minds. And here's what Paul's saying. Listen, you want to crawl off the altar and you're going to find yourself drifting from the worship of the true God. When that happens, then it leads us down to places that never bring satisfaction and joy and a relationship with a holy God. So what do we do? Here's the third question. How do we renew our worship? How do we renew it? And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time just pouring through this. How do we renew our worship? How do we, how do we understand to worship God in a way that's acceptable and holy to him and that can bring me to a place of freshness and newness and this place that maybe I have been missing or maybe a place I've never even been to before? How do we do it? Let's go back to Romans 12, 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. He's saying, listen, according to the mercies of God, according to the goodness of God, according to the character of God, you need to worship him in a way that will bring you the right view of who he is and who you are. A beautiful picture of this is Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight, Isaiah has a glimpse of God that he had never seen before. Now, Isaiah was a young man who loved God. He worshiped God. He's in the temple in Isaiah chapter six. He is worshiping. He's a young prophet at this point. His cousin, King Isaiah, has just died. And so he's in there worshiping God. And while he's worshiping God, he sees God in a vision. And he records for us what he sees. And here's what it says. In the year that King Isaiah died, 
I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. I wanna show you four things in here that renewed his worship and that will renew our worship. There are four things that if we really want to go deeper in our worship, we want to be refreshed in our worship, we want to go places we've never even been in our worship. There's four truths in this passage that I want to show you. Here's the first one. My worship is renewed by a fresh reminder of who God is. Listen to me carefully. You and I can only worship what we know. And if we have the wrong view of God or we don't have the deep view of God or we don't have the right view of God, our worship is always going to be limited. And I believe that this is one of the problems of the church today in America is that we have created this mosaic of who God is built upon our emotions, our feelings, whatever the culture has said, and we're not listening and looking at who this God really is. What did Isaiah see? He saw three things about God. He is preeminent. He's high. He's lifted up. There is no one like him. There is no one to whom you can compare him to. There is no one who can stand besides the majesty and the splendor of almighty God. He is preeminent. Above all things. Secondly, he is pure. He is holy. He just not models holiness. He is the standard for holiness. He is the standard for righteousness. He is the standard for love and joy and for peace. He is the standard for justice. That's who he is. And there's no one as pure as he is. No one. Thirdly, he is powerful. That all of the foundations began to tremble as he was there. That this omnipotent God of the universe, the one who is all powerful, the omnipresent God of the universe, who is everywhere, this omniscient God who knows every single thing is the one who is before him. I want to tell you this. When we lose sight of the majesty and the power and the holiness and the greatness and the majesty of God, we will never worship him for who he really is. And I think this is what's missing. I think that what happens in our churches today, we move into the presence of God with kind of a flippant attitude. We move without a reverence. We move without realizing the significance of who he is. Let me tell you what we will not do. When we see God face to face, we're not going to treat him like a homeboy. 
We're not gonna go up to him and say, high five, yeah, what's up, God, yeah, woo. When you go to Revelation, you see John falling on his face as a dead man. And I think that this is what miss, is missing in our worship of God. We can become so flippant. We can become so irreverent. Now, now let me just get a balance here. The Lord Jesus teaches us in, in, in the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us something about God that we've not seen in the Old Testament. He says he is our Father. He is. But he says this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He is our Father. He is our loving God but he is the ruler of the universe. He is the Lord of hosts. And the word host means angel army. And there is no one like him. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you gave such consideration to who God is that it brought you to your knees and you fell on your face because of how great he is? You can go stand at the bottom of, of the greatest mountains in, on this planet and you will see how small you are. You can go face to face with the ocean every single week and see the waves coming in and you know that you cannot wrestle the ocean and win. There are a lot of ships at the bottom of the ocean. You can go to the Grand Canyon and you can say, wow, how small I am to all of that. And all of that is minuscule compared to who God is. So if we're going to have the right view of worship, I've got to have the right view of who he is. And what does that do? So if I want to renew my worship, I need to go back to the fact of how magnificent and how great my God is. But it can't stop there. There's a second part. My worship is renewed by a fresh reminder of what God has done. Now, it's one thing for me to stand and see how awesome he is and me stand and tremble in his presence, but it's another thing to see the great things he's done. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What has God done? I need to be reminded of what he's done for me. And when you think of all the things that God has done for you in Christ Jesus, what a wonderful measure of his mercy and his grace. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. You were chosen from the foundation of the earth. You experienced predestination by God's hand. You experienced regeneration by the Spirit of God working in your life. You have experienced adoption as he has adopted you into his family. You have experienced justification that he counts you as righteous as his son. You have experienced sanctification where every single day the heart of your heavenly father wants to make you more like his son in whom he is well pleased. 
and you have experienced forgiveness and redemption. The Holy Spirit lives in you and you have that sealed until the day of redemption and you have glorification waiting for you one day in the presence of your Father and in the presence of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. When you think of who you were before Christ and who you are in Christ, the mercies of God should drive every one of us to the place where all we can say is thank you. Thank you. Let me tell you, let me tell you, it was a danger. We live in a culture where we believe that we deserve the grace and the mercy of God. We live in such a place that we believe that God owes us his forgiveness and he owes us nothing. But it's just simply by his love for you and me that he has poured it out on us and we have eternal life. That should drive us to worship. The songs we sang today were all about the great things that God has done for us in Christ. So how do I renew my worship? It's not only seeing God for who he is, but it is thanking him for what he has done for me and how he's forgiven me and I'm part of his family. Here's the third thing we need to sing. My worship is renewed by a fresh response to God's revelation. As there's a fresh response to the revelation of God, my worship will go deeper. Now, it's one thing for me to see who he is, to thank him for what he's done, but there's got to be some kind of change in me. And this is exactly what happened in Isaiah, verses five through eight. And I said, woe is me. He sees God. Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then he goes on. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. There are three responses that he has. Let me give you these responses. Number one, there's a confession of sin. When he sees who God is, he sees what God has done. He sees the holiness of God. You know what the first thing he does? He says, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm wrong. He confesses his sin. And that means this, that there are times in our life that as we're growing cold in our walk, we are honest with God. We're saying, God, I see who you are. I see what you've done. But Lord, this is where I've been. And I confess to you that I've grown cold in my walk. I confess to you that I put things before you. I confess to you that there's not been a rigorous discipline of worship of you in my life. And there's an admission in saying, yes, I am off the mark of where you desire me to be. There's a confession, but then there's a cleansing of our soul. I want to tell you, confession means repentance. And once there's repentance, then there comes a cleansing. He touches his lips and for that point, he is cleansed of that sin that was in his life. And, and I love the way that Luke puts it in Acts chapter three, verse 19, I think it is, or 20. He says this, that when repentance happens, days of refreshing will come. I love that. And there are times when we have to confess and say, Lord, I owe that. 
And then when there's repentance, then there's cleansing. And then the third thing that happens is a commissioning to serve. Here I am, Lord, send me. Have you noticed this? That when we grow stale in our worship of Jesus, it impacts not only our relationship with him, but with other people, and it impacts my calling to be who he wants me to be. And whenever I get to the place where I confess it, I repent of it, and there's cleansing, there is this new invigoration to serve him because of what he has done for me. And so it brings us to the place where we really need to be honest with God and say, Lord, I see you. I see what you've done. Here's who I am. Forgive me. And then you move into a deeper area of worship that grows more and more. Here's the last thing. I'm going to close with this. My worship is renewed by a fresh resolve to fully worship God. To fully worship him. Going back to my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, I'm placed on the altar. I am a living sacrifice, which means every aspect of my life is to be engaged in worship. We looked at Isaiah seeing God in the earthly temple in a vision. We're going to close with John seeing the worship of the Lord Jesus in heaven. And I want you to see the similarities. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. They give themselves Fully. And when we worship, we are to give ourselves fully to the Lord in worship. This means three things that they did. Number one, there's an emotion in worship. Do you hear it? Do you feel it? They are emotional. They're engaged in this. They're crying out with every bit of their being. And they're giving their emotions to the Lord Jesus. You know what really strikes me? Is we're so quick to give our emotions to things of the world but we're so slow to give our emotions to Jesus when we gather. Isn't that amazing? We, we, we have to be refined. Now, I'm not talking about jumping up and down and running around and all of those things, but I'm talking about engaging in worship in such a way that you are giving your emotions. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, truth without emotion is dead orthodoxy and creates a generation of artificial admirers. Emotion without truth is frenzy and lends itself to a lack of rigorous discipline and thought. True worship involves the mind and the heart as we give ourselves to Christ. I love that. Because when we gather together and worship, and when I worship, there should be some emotion 
that are engaged in that. Now, some of you are not emotional people. I get it. Some of you are very emotional people. And together, y'all balance those of us in the middle. But we are to be emotional as we worship together. But there's also an expression in worship. They cast their crowns. They bow down and they physically express themselves in worship. Now, every Sunday, some of you do that. Some of you do it just like this. And you stand there and you're just like, I dare you to make me unfold my arms. And since we don't take up the offering anymore, you don't have to. So, and some of you, you're very free to worship. And some of you are free not to express. That's okay, but we are to give of ourselves, not just emotionally, but the very expression of our soul as we lift up our voice because we're worshiping the creator who has given us so much. And how did Jesus express his emotion? He did that for you and me so that we can be with him forever. Here's the last thing. There's an emptying in worship. They cast their crowns. That means this, Lord, I give you everything. Everything is here. Everything is here. So how do we renew our worship? We need to see God for who he is. We need to see his mercies for what they are. We need to see ourselves for what we have become. And we need to empty ourselves in giving of him as we continue to worship. So let me close with this question. How's your worship? How's your worship? When's the last time you've seen God in his beauty and his majesty? Three practical questions in closing. Are you captured by the beauty and the majesty of God? Are you? Or have you become so flippant, so familiar, so cavalier, that you no longer think of God as who he is. Secondly, are you humbled by the mercies of God in your own life? Does what God done for you and for your family and for your eternity stir your heart to a place of absolute joy and maybe sometimes just brokenness? Here's the third one I have to ask myself. Does your worship of Christ reflect his majesty and his mercy? If we want to go deeper, we got to go deeper in who he is and what he's done, who we are, and how we are called to respond. So here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. As you go this week and as you leave here today, worship is not over. It is just beginning. And if you're a child of God, Would you give some thought this week to be renewed in your thinking of who God is, what he has done, and how that stirs your heart to empty yourself before him for his glory and for his pleasure? Maybe you're new in your walk with Christ, and I want to challenge you to do that this week. It takes time. It takes Months, it takes years, it takes the rest of your life. But if we're going to renew ourselves and be worshipers of God, it is for Him and for Him alone that we worship. 
If you're here today and you're not a believer, I want to introduce you to the God of the universe who loves you so much that there's nothing about you he does not know. And there's never been a time he has not loved you. In fact, he loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. And when Jesus was on the cross, he knew you. He saw you. He died for you. And God has prepared this for you so that you would come to know him and that your life would be so transformed by the work and the person of Jesus Christ that you will come to know the God of the universe like you've never known before. Our prayer is that you would seek that and you would come to know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the reminders that we've had today. And Father, thank you for stirring my own heart this week. Father, I'm just amazed at how easy my heart can grow cold. How easy I've become so familiar with who you are and the things that you've done that I even get to a place in my life where they no longer stir me. But Father, thank you for reminding me of this and breaking my heart even this week as I seek to constantly remind myself of who you are and who I am and what your grace has done. May we walk in that. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for those in our lives who have impacted us in so many ways. And we ask, Father, that you would honor everyone today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.